It's time for the Clockwise Podcast, episode number one. Clockwise, four guests, four topics, 30 minutes, or the podcast is free. But not your pizza, you have to pay for that. I am Jason Snell, Editorial Director of Tech Hive, PC World, and Mac World. And let me explain briefly what Clockwise is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a reasonably sized conversation, not a two-hour-long podcast about every single topic. Every week, we're going to try to talk to uh, four people about four topics and keep it under 30 minutes, like the sign says. There is a sign. You just can't see it because this is a podcast. And we'll be inviting on people from Macworld, PC World, and Tech Hive to talk about tech topics of all sorts. My uh, co-host sitting across the virtual table from me today is Dan Morin, senior editor at Macworld. Hi, Dan. This is a super long table. It's just it's the three thousand mile table. Uh, it's really hard to see. It's like that scene in Batman where they're sitting at the end of the table in the very first Batman movie. Entire forests were denuded to build this table. <laughs> well, we um, it's only eight know, inches long, wide. We're it's, about technology. We're not about the environment here. Let's be honest. It's far too narrow for me to actually put anything on. It's just very long. And somewhere in the middle of that are our guests, but I don't know exactly where. Yeah, exactly right. So um, across from me here in San Francisco is executive editor of Tech Hive, Jason Cross. Hi, Jason. Hello. We have extra Jasons. Yes, we got two Jasons. That's not confusing. No. Not in the least. Unusually, we have only one Dan. Very unusually. And that's you. That's me. Who's next to you? Who's our fourth guest? Our fourth guest is Dan. No, not a Dan. Our fourth guest is, is Lex Friedman. He's a, he's a senior writer for, for Macworld and TechHive and, and many of our other, I don't know, do we have other properties? He probably writes for everything. I think he just does all the jobs now. He's making up uh, new properties. That's what I do. LexWorld. <laughs> it's coming. It's not that interesting, though. Uh, the, the, challenge, the challenge with this midpoint of the table at around the 1,500-mile mark, uh, no salt. So if anybody could pass the salt, that would be great. I'll, I, I'm going to slide it down now. It'll get there in about five days. Thank you. Okay. After well, after this podcast is over, fortunately, you do have the candelabras conveniently located <laughs> right in front of you in North Dakota, where you are. All right. So here's how this works. Every single one of us has brought a tech topic that we think is worth discussing in this episode. Yeah, and Jason, as you mentioned, we don't want to waste people's time. This is a reasonably sized tech podcast. We're not talking hours and hours, so we're going to keep it to just five minutes on each topic. Because I am the uh, co-host and a very generous person, I'm going to go first, and then the action will move around this gigantic table clockwise. See what I did there? No, I I don't You don't get that? I don't get it. I don't get it, no. Dang. It's not funny. Smartwatches. I am wearing a Pebble right now. Uh, there's a lot of rumors out there. Everybody who's anybody in the tech uh, world seems to have announced that they or hinted that they're doing a smartwatch of some sort. Um, and my question for you guys is, it, will anybody actually use these things? Let's not debate if Apple's going to do an iWatch or what Samsung is up to and what these various fo- little watch things that Sony is doing. I don't want to talk about that so much as talk about, is this something that anybody really wants does does anybody want a smartwatch will people really wear them now i've been using the pebble for a little while and i i've enjoyed it because i think there's you know i'm lazy and i like to check the time without having to pull my phone out of my pocket and i i like doing the same for text messages that if i I get a text i can look and see if it's something i even need to answer uh and the pebble does that but i'm just wondering is this a crazy niche product for for kooky tech people or will real people actually find value in these products jason cross what do you think uh, I think they absolutely will. I think uh, 
some of these companies are grasping at straws, just going like, oh, people are making watches? We'll make a watch. It's Dell. We'll make a watch, you know. <laughs> we must. this thing. Um, That's right. Dell needs to know what time it is. <laughs> uh, but I think there's, um, as opposed to people just going, oh, well, I have my phone. Why do I need that? If you watch what the phones are doing with smart tiles and widgets and all this, other, you know, whatever they're doing on the home screen. The glanceable and, kind uh, of stuff. Glanceable information is a big deal. And glanceable information on your wrist is what watches are really all about. That glanceable information used to be just the date and time, but now we have all these other things we need to know, like who is that calling me and all this other, you know, uh, how many steps have I taken today, whatever it is we want to know. There's a lot of glanceable information that people want that they don't want into an app and find. And I think a wrist is a great place to put it. I think there needs to be some technological advancement before they really take off for average, not techie, I'm wearing a calculator watch people. You know, they need to get smaller and thinner and more fashionable and in a lot of ways for before they get to be something my parents would wear. But I think glanceable information is a, a big deal, and, and that's a great place to put it. Dan, what do you think? Is it watch o'clock yet? I, you know, I have a, I have a Pebble 2, and, and I like it. Uh, you already I, my, have the Pebble 2? The Pebble 2 is better than the Pebble 1 in every possible way. It's Dang. the size of two pebbles. No, it's <laughs> don't wear it. It's, it looks really very freakishly um, large. Uh, well, it's funny that, because I have a pebble and I also happen to have a, a Fitbit Flex. And one of my friends mocked me for saying, like, when they come out with some other piece of wearable tech, where the hell does that one go? So I think I'm going to start getting like anklets, like, you know, like those GPS anklets that they put on convicts. Uh, I think I'm going to get one of those. Um, I, I like the idea. I like my pebble, but it's it, it kind of doesn't do enough for me right now to make it worthwhile. I don't wear it every day because, yeah, if I'm going out and around and, and really I'm expecting some sort of text message or just want to keep in the loop with something, it's great. But it's also it is kind of clunky and heavy to wear and it doesn't provide me enough information right now at a glance. And a lot of that is the limitations of how it works with iOS, which is the platform I use for my phone. Um, so you can't get as easily some information like I would like to have more weather information information on there, forecast. Uh, I, yeah. I know Lex has used other smartwatches, which offer some more capabilities. There's some notification but, center uh, bugs in iOS 6 that prevent the Pebble from being as good as it could be. Definitely. Right. So I, I think there's a value to that space. I mean, literally the wrist space. I mean, there's a reason people <laughs> wore watches for so long. It connects your hand to your arm. I'm a big <laughs> fan of that. Um yeah, I think there's there's something interesting there to to branch out into, but at the same time, uh, nobody's made the most compelling case for it yet. So I, I think there's there's some potential there, but it's it's not fully it's not fully. It's maybe it's like five of it's five of watch o'clock. All right, fair enough. Lex, what what say you? Well, as Dan referenced, I do own uh, a second smartwatch. I have both a Pebble and the do you wear metal them next watch to each frame. Other? I like, do not wear like them swatches, simultaneously. Like multiple swatches? Dan, I only have about 53 seconds and you're eating into them. But uh, so, yeah, the, the advantage of my Meta Watch is that it's got the uh, it's got multiple home screens and you can pack multiple bits of data into them and you customize what they are. So I can see my next appointment on my calendar. I can see the current weather forecast and current weather conditions, along with notifications for iMessages and emails and things like that. Uh, that's actually really useful. Now, the software on the Pebble for what the, the things that they do in common is better. The Pebble's OS feels a little bit um, fancier, nicer or something. But uh, yes, to answer your question, Jason, yes, I think that, you know, smart watches are going to be a thing that people besides nerds want. Um, and I think, you know, the right now we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg in terms of what the potential is and what people will be able to do with them. And uh, I mean, as they get better, it's I get phantom phone vibrations in my pocket all the time, but there is no mistaking a vibration on your wrist. So I miss way fewer messages and phone calls this way. 
That's great. I, I, you know, I think I'm with you guys. That I think there's something here in glanceable information. The question is going to be, uh, what's the right implementation that people are going to feel is worth putting something on their arm that they're that they're going to they're going to carry around. And that valuable, as Dan said, that valuable wrist real estate location, location, location. It's on your wrist. Jason Cross, what's your topic? Well, uh, I want to know what we think it's going to take for Windows Phone to be successful. They've been uh, sort of beating that drum for years now, ever since they sort of rejiggered Windows Mobile into Windows Phone with Windows Phone 7. They had a whole new UI. They do all these things. People speak highly of it. Everybody loves it. Everybody loves it except, you know, there's always a but, and then people aren't exactly lining up in droves to buy them. They do okay in certain areas of the world, but even where they do okay, they're not nearly number one. They're usually not nearly number two, and and overall, they're like such a distant third, growing, but a very distant third. Uh, and I just want to to get everybody's sort of opinion on what does it need? What is what does Windows Phone need to be at least, you know, a strong contender for second place or something? A, a good, successful twenty or more percent of the market. Dan, well, well, I, I uh, number one, and this is probably the most important thing is that the uh, entire executive team of Apple would have to slip on a banana peel. Like, collectively. <laughs> it's a really big banana peel. Um, as big as this table? It, yeah, almost as large as this table. Well, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of... The down, you know, the, the challenge that, that Microsoft has is that they entered a market that was dominated by these two major platforms, and they did it fairly late. You know, these platforms were pretty mature by the time that, that you know, Microsoft kind of got its act together. Uh, and, and I agree. I think everyone that's used the phones for a certain amount of time, uh, you know, has said very positive things about them. Um, but there's nothing... There's nothing super compelling about it. I mean, I think that there's a there's a dichotomy that we've seen put in place between iOS and Android, right? Like there's a it's kind of a you know a battle where we've got the like, oh, they believe in, you know, closed gardens and and you know curation and, and Android is anything goes, right? Like so you've got these kind of diametrically opposed ideas. And Windows is kind of in the middle, they're like, oh, code us in there too. But like they don't kind of fall in one camp or the other. So from the narrative perspective, it's really hard for them to find a wedge to drive in and say, here's what sets us apart from these other smartphones. Because yeah, they do a lot of the same stuff that you can do on your iPhone and your Android. But I think their biggest hammer to swing is that they have Microsoft, so much Microsoft integration with the services that you use from Microsoft. But a lot of people use Microsoft services because they're forced to or because they, you know, don't really have a choice in the matter. And so I think that's kind of unfortunately not as powerful a lever as it would have been, say, 10 years ago. Lex, you used a Windows phone for like a month. I did. I spent a month with a Windows phone. What's your and, prescription? Um, yeah, more better? No, I don't know. The, <laughs> the thing is, uh, yeah, you definitely like Windows phone for the first couple of days because it's different. They, it is not... A, a Windows to OS 10 or a Windows to Mac kind of thing. This is, you know, knowing what we know about what Apple's done, what can we do to make our own thing? Which is nice. It's different. Um, then, you know, a week into it or so, at least in my case, the bloom very quickly falls so far off the rose that the rose no longer looks like it was even a plant form of any kind. <laughs> um, you know, there's so many big and little problems that, that Windows would have to address. You know, there's uh, the email app, which is, I think, terrible. And there's the lack of any kind of notification center. If you don't see a 
notification, it never existed. Um, the 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 App Store is a problem on Windows Phone too, right? You need to have lots and lots of people who use a Windows Phone in order for developers to say yes. Let's take the time and energy and effort and money to build apps for Windows Phone, but they're only going to do it's you know it's the the infamous Catch Twenty Two, and you know with Microsoft it's probably like Catch Twenty Two version two point But it's, I mean, I think that there's hope for Microsoft. I don't think it is doomed, but uh, I also don't feel tremendously optimistic that they're going to be able to find a way to pull it off. So I would say two things. One is perseverance, which is just, it's Microsoft. What does Microsoft do? They, they just keep on trying and they keep doing new versions and they keep on pushing and they got a lot of money and they can keep marketing it and just keep trying and hope that the momentum keeps building and that eventually they're they're viable. Michael Gartenberg, who used to be an analyst uh, in the mobile industry, always used to tell me, look, there's not going to be just two players in mobile. There, there are going to be three or four. And if that comes to pass, I think Microsoft has a chance to be one of them. But the, uh, the snarky answer, I would say, is they kind of need a time machine. I really wish this product had not been branded as a Windows product. I wish they had called it something new because I, I think, and this is something Dan alluded to, I think attaching Windows as a brand to this product did it a disservice. I think it would be a more exciting new product, which is what the product actually is if it hadn't been marketed with this attachment to everybody's you know PC that they've been using for 15 years. They should have called it the Xbox phone. Yeah, <laughs> the X phone. Uh, I mostly agree phone. with uh, everything everyone said. They needed to do the Windows Phone 7 thing two years earlier. They needed to just be two years back on all this stuff. Time machine. Yeah, time machine. Right. Uh, That's the know, next they, product. And the apps is a problem. They have a high number and the number is the wrong thing to talk about. Right. They don't have things like, oh, United Airlines. Right. So it doesn't matter if you have 100,000 apps if I can't get my boarding pass. Dan, I think uh, we've reached your side of the table. My side of the table. Well, it took a little time for the sound to get all the way <laughs> over here. I am interested, and this is kind of you know analogous to what Jason was talking about with this sort of a, a, the idea of whether our technology will catch on. And I want to talk about voice technology. I you know I, I use Siri on my phone, and I think we've seen more and more forays into this voice technology uh, in the last few months. We've seen Google really bet hard on that with Chrome. Um, we've seen, I think Windows has their own sort of Siri equivalent too. We've seen Microsoft with, um, with the Kinect on the Xbox trying to leverage some more voice capabilities going forward. Um, and I think they're all interesting and, and maybe useful in certain ways, but I'm curious to know if you guys think they'll get beyond the point of a novelty where we really are devoting more and more of our time to, uh, you know, interacting with v- these intelligent agents or these voice commands. Lex, I know you love Siri, so tell yeah, me my, how I'm. My how answer I'm is wrong. yes. No, my answer is is I mean, yeah, voice is <laughs> going to be solved. more than a fad. The um, here's the thing: I use Siri all the time, and I use it for productive reasons. I don't use it, to, you know, to ask it to tell me jokes and tell me stories. I use it to schedule reminders for myself and set timers and to iMessage my wife. Um, and I message your wife, Dan, but the, um, she says, hi, the, the truth is, uh, you know, I use it in part because I work from home, so I don't have to worry about annoying cubicle mates. And I use it in part because, uh, you know, I like early, I like adopting technology early. Let's, let's say it that way. But I think that, young, uh, young. it's right. I think it's, uh, it's going to catch on more and more. I think, you know, you have to get past the early growing pains where, you know, it misunderstands you and where you have to fight with it. But these technologies with the possible exception of Windows Phone Tell Me, which is kind of terrible, but these technologies are getting better 
better and better and people um, who use them more and more discover that they do more and more things. Uh, I think it's going to be obviously and unsurprisingly more prominent on mobile since uh, it's harder to type things in on mobile devices than it is on computers. But I uh, I will be the loudest cheerer when Apple finally announces Siri for the Mac too because it's, you know, when you can perform specific actions and searches and things like that uh, more wait, quickly wait, wait, without having to type. Siri for the Mac 2? The Mac 2 is old, Lex. Yeah. That's we like made years that old. Joke. <laughs> Someone else made the joke. I'm reappropriating it. Uh, I'm going to say the. uh, I I think it is going to be successful, but I think it's all about context. And uh, for me, it's not even so much mobile. It's we're we're in the part now where there are these sort of laughable demonstrations where it's like you can use voice in this context that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. There are places though where voice makes sense. Like I don't use Siri for almost anything, but when I'm uh, cooking is a good example, and I need to set a timer for five minutes. I don't open the clock app and find the five minutes. I say, you know, set a timer for five minutes, and it sets it, and then it goes off. Uh, places where I, uh, it's going to save me time, not because I'm so lazy that I can't tap somewhere, but because it's too many steps and it can cut off a lot of steps. I think in hands-free environments, in the car is a great example where Siri in the car is still not quite good enough, and you know these technologies aren't quite good enough, but they're going to get better. Um, at reading us things and letting us respond. And uh, that's so, in certain contexts, I think it's going to take off. And in other places where we're trying to push it right now, where the tech industry is saying, look, you can sit on your couch and say, hello, TV, change to CBS. I don't think it's going to work there. I, I think I think we'll Especially be surprised. if you're talking like that. I mean, yes. Hello. Television. Hello, TV. Lay it on me, TV. So I, Why I think, are you yes, watching this, Jason? Yes, but only in certain places. And we may be surprised at some of those places. I think that's absolutely true. Uh, I I know uh, voice can save you a lot of time in places where doing input the traditional way is difficult or too many steps or whatever. Like you said, too many steps. I use the timer. I use Siri to set timers all the time because it's just so much faster, right? Uh, a good example is there's there's voice recognition built into Windows ever since I think Vista or something. Uh, and my girlfriend does this thing where she gets the... Uh, the scratchers that have are, have already been used, you they have a number on them. You can go to a website <laughs> and you can put in a number, and they have a second chance drawing every quarter or whatever, right? So she just collects used scratchers from the scra- supermarket and stuff, where people just throw down the scratchers that didn't win. She grabs all those non-winning cards and she puts them all on the computer. It takes forever, but she goes to the website and she uses the voice recognition and she just says all the big long string of numbers, <laughs> and then says like enter. Launching of numbers, enter, just does all that with voice, and it goes much, much more quickly than because she's not like one of those super fast tanky operator things. So there are a lot of things like that where it's not not that somebody's going to be entering their lottery cards or something like that, but there are a lot of situations where people don't have a specific skill to get it done really quickly, and just telling the computer what to do is is much faster. So I think it's going to be really common in that. Connect is a great example because you're holding this controller and that's not necessarily good for inputting certain things. Right. Yeah, I think the I think the 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 lottery and number entering thing is probably a niche. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a no, niche, no. but uh, use voice control, I, become a millionaire. I, I think no, it's I the use thing it for entering my credit card number instead of typing. I just huh? yeah, See, I don't know. I remember it. Long but still, numbers. here's the thing. As I, I I'm very enthusiastic about it, but I also almost always get frustrated because of its limitations, like especially when I'm in the car and it's like, oh, I want this to do X that it can't quite do or it misunderstands me or it sends a message to the wrong person. And so it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, if this was just, you know, 10% better, 
um, then I think it would really, really ex- hit that point where it was just like, you know, something I could use all the time. But a lot of times it still ends up feeling like it's just too limited for me. But I, I look forward to seeing what they do with it. And eventually we will all live in Star Trek and talk to our computers. And Lex, you've got a topic for us, I believe. I do. You know, uh, July 2013 marks uh, the fifth birthday of the App Store. And uh, I think by most measures, the App Store is a huge success for Apple and its customers and its developers alike. Uh, but I also think the App Store is flawed. And I think that you put those two things together and you get an Apple that does not care that the App Store is flawed, uh, leaving Apple with very little motivation to fix the things that are wrong with the App Store. Uh, reviews and limitations and search and discoverability, all those sorts of things. So I want to know what you think. Do you think Apple's ever going to address the weaknesses in the App Store or is, is this just the way it's going to be, Jason? I, I you know, it's... <sighs> The Apple does make progress on this stuff, and, and some of it, I, I wonder if it's pride. They make progress very quietly because they don't want to admit that what they did was wrong. Uh, but there are still things. I cannot believe that five years later, there is no upgrade model for the App Store, that literally you have to walk away from your customers, create a new app, and say, hey, buy this new thing, and you get no credit for being here before, which was something that sort of makes sense for loyal users of software. So, uh, you know, there's no way, there's no trial. I would hope that these things would be would be fixed, but I've been holding out hope that these things would be addressed in the App Store for five years, and they still haven't been. So, you know, I think the App Store is great. It's been great for Apple. It's been influential. I think all of the kind of tech world is better off with these app stores that now are on all these different platforms. I think it's much better for non-technical users to find software, which means it's also great for developers who couldn't get their software in front of users, and now they can. So I think there's a lot of good there. But, but yeah, I um, unless there's more pressure put on Apple where they feel like they desperately have to do something or, or they're going to fall behind, I worry about stuff like uh, that seems obvious like upgrades and trials. Uh, I generally think it's not even that broken. I, I think there's a lot of things people complain about with the App Store because it gets so much attention that are kind of problems everywhere. Things like discoverability, you know, is a word that people throw out there. But nobody's doing discoverability great. You know, everyone's got a problem with the way this other App Store didn't surface their app the right way in this category of things. Or so. oh, yeah. You know, I don't really think it's all that broken. I think there's a lot of stuff they could do. Uh, I like the model that Microsoft does, which comes from the Xbox of every app is sort of its own package. And if it's the free version, it just isn't unlocked with whatever is the pay version. You don't have to go download some separate pay version of the app, you know, the the way they kind of bake trials into every version of everything. Uh, that sort of stuff is good. I like the things that they're doing, like adding automatic app updates is, is good. But uh, ultimately, I don't think it's they don't have a lot that I think is is that broken that they need to fix it. I think they need to work on things like, you know, you know, getting your things out there to beta testers and stuff like that. But yeah, it's it's not all that bad. I think they have bigger fish to fry. Yeah, I, I there's some stuff that's frustrating from a policy standpoint, like uh, in the piece that Lex wrote uh, about the five years of the App Store. He mentioned that um, the subscription model situation where Apple, you know, takes 30% of whatever subscriptions you do through your app. But the downside of that is that apps that don't comply, you lose functionality. So, for example, there's no way to access the Kindle store from the Kindle app still. So, I mean, most people are smart enough to go to Amazon and buy an ebook and send it to their Kindle app, but it's still annoying. And there used to be a button there that you could just tap and go look at ebooks. So, things like that where there's, there's, 
pol- you know, political issues, I, I think those bother me more than some of the technological problems. Uh, as far as the, the, those issues go, I agree with Jason that the, the upgrade model and the trial version thing, both Jasons, I should say, about the, uh, the trial thing in particular, like that seems ludicrous to me. Like why would you not have the ability to actually just try out an app and see if it's worthwhile before spending your money on it? And some app developers have found their way around that by offering free versions and then you know, app purchases, but it, it's clunky. It would be nicer if there was a sort of a more universal way to do that. Um, but are they going to fix it? I, I think that they're probably much more committed to working on things like iOS 7 and Mavericks and the new technologies they have coming down the road than by revisiting the old stuff that they've been, you know, the, the stuff that is infrastructure, but isn't really sexy to use the really unfortunate tech word. Um, so I, I don't know that it's high on their priority list. I think they're going to continue to make improvements that they feel really benefit their customers more than anything else. You know, I um, I think I agree with 67% of you because um, I, I think I disagree when Jason Cross says that uh, there aren't so many problems with the App Store to deal with because, I, I mean, Windows Phone is actually a place where uh, uh, trials work really well. Right. And I think that that's a, a thing that benefits customers. Um, uh, developers needing to maintain two different versions of their apps or upgrading via I, upgrading via I, IAP is really annoying. And uh, I, I think that I think you're right, Dan, that, you know, uh, this is not something that's on Apple's priority list right now. But I do think it would be a big benefit to customer. And unfortunately, I to me, when you try to look at why doesn't Apple try to deal with some of these issues that face customers, you know, I want to be able to install apps that haven't gone through Apple's review process, or I want to be able to get free trials of apps and that sort of thing. I think the only reason not to offer those things is uh, a, a, uh, a sleazy financial one. Just make the apps be cheap enough that people will just buy them. If they don't like them, they don't care. And we make more money that way. I don't love that. All right. And that brings us, that's four topics, believe it or not. We did it without breaking a sweat. Well, I'm uh, slightly sweaty, but... That's uh, just because it's hot in the podcast. It's hot in our studio. I I will see that hot and raise you to whatever the heat is outside. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. This is a this is a table in a hot room. Sweltering edition of Clockwise. Yes, exactly. So before we go, uh, we like to ask a a question or do something at the end that is not one of the four topics. And this one is going to be simple. I want to know what you are all reading. Jason Cross, what are you reading? Anything? Comic book? A book? Uh, you know what? I, I don't. Pamphlet? I hardly ever read. So I'm not reading. I'm definitely not reading a book. And I have even fallen terribly behind on comics. Like I haven't picked up a comic book in over a month, which is weird for me. I usually less, I read a comics on my iPad every week. So You're way behind. So I'm, I'm way behind on everything that's not reading for work. Uh, I've started doing Code Academy. Uh, and that's kind of how I'm spending my free time. That's I, not reading. I know. It's not really reading. Reading code doesn't count. So, yeah, so I'm kind of nothing. So you, you pass. I, I, nothing. My answer is nothing. I'm wow. not reading anything. Tea leaves. You should read something. Let's see if we can <laughs> find something. something that uh, somebody else can recommend. Dan, what are you reading? I, I'm, uh, I'm going to, to take Jason's Cross slot and name two things. One, <laughs> oh, a, oh. A, really, a really, really mean person that I know is making me read most of the Hugo novels, uh, nominated Hugo novels. Yep. Uh, so I'm, I'm slogging right now through 2312 by Kim Stanley Robinson. Slog. Which I See, I, you know, I'm like 233 pages or so now through. And, oh, and right find, like, it's picking, it is picking up. It is picking up after like 150 or so. But God, that first, that first 150 pages was uh, a bit of a tough sell. So I will say instead, um, I am probably the last person on earth to actually read this, but I just read uh, the first collected trade volume of Hawkeye by Matt Fraction, uh, which I know everybody really likes, and so I'll jump on board the bandwagon for that and say I thought it was awesome. I really, really enjoyed it, and now I'm waiting 
in, in anticipation for the next volume, which I think comes out in a couple of weeks from now. So I, I'll give that a big thumbs up if you're if you're interested in the comic book. Awesome. Lex? Uh, I do read. Um, I heard that. I am reading uh, World War Z by Max Brooks because I want to join everybody else in complaining about the movie <laughs> not being at all faithful a recreation of the book. It's Mel Brooks's uh, kid. Come on. I, it's Mel Brooks's kid, Max Brooks, which I love. Um, I really, <laughs> if there is a genre of post-apocalyptic or zombie fiction, I'm a fan of it. I find it amusing. Uh, and I have read many, many books in that genre. And I will acknowledge I'm probably about a third of the way through World War Z, and it still hasn't captured me. I'm fighting the good fight because I know that people seem to really like it, and I'm hopeful that it's going to take a turn for the better in terms of Lex's enjoyment factor. But right now, uh, right now it's a, a little bit of a chore. I'm reading it every day, but it's only a little bit at a time. Yikes. I'm well, I, I just finished The Professor and the Madman, which is a, a book recommended to, to me by our pal Scott McNulty about the, uh, the professor being uh, the man who basically spearheaded the Oxford English Dictionary's development and the madman being a, uh, an American in a mental institution in an asylum who was actually their, more, their most prolific contributor to the OED and they didn't realize for like a decade that he was locked away. They oh, thought he great. was just a doctor who had a lot of idle time, which is true. Right. But he had the idle time because he was locked up because he killed somebody. Uh, and I'm currently reading a sci-fi novel by Ian Banks who just passed away. Uh, one of his culture books called The Player of Games, which oh, I like the player of highly games. recommended uh, to me. And so now I'm, I'm reading. I'm trying to get caught up on some of those culture books that I, that I missed the first time around. And that's it. So we've, we've answered uh, five topics. And we have been carefully watching the clock. But we are literally out of time. Jason Cross, thanks for being on episode one. This is uh, also not like a prequel to anything. So that's good. Right. Yeah, no, it's my, my, my pleasure. It's fun. And Lex Friedman, thank you for being here as well. I follow you wherever you go, Denwood. That explains a lot. There's going to be a restraining order uh, put out against Lex. But until next time, and there will be a next time, uh, we'll see you next week from everybody here at Clockwise. Watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. That's kind of a catchphrase. See you next time. <laughs>